Good morning and welcome to 2021. You know, most of the time I'm out there greeting, greeting y'all, and so I very rarely get to hear our worship team. And every time I hear them, uh, I just think, thank you, God, for giving them to us. What a, what a privilege it is that God has given us so many talented people who, who can lead us in worship. And I tell you what, that last song we did, I can't do that without my allergies bothering my eyes. Uh, it, just, it just sort of, sort of happens. Um, I'm Terry Cadwell. I'm a pastor here at Lake Hills. It's been a long time, by the way, since uh, I've been up here. And, uh, and, and I, for, I guess for good reason, because when all this COVID stuff hit, uh, you know, I'm one of those people who is sort of over the age limit for safety. And uh, I know I don't look that old, but, uh, but you know, I'm a little older, older than, than many of you. And so, and so uh, when Lake Hills Church was trying to figure out how to respond to all of this, I was told I couldn't come. I'm serious, really. Kaylee Wilson, she was Wilson then. She's not Wilson anymore. But uh, I was talking to Ryan and, and Kay. Kaylee just looked at me and she said, Terry, you're not invited. Okay, but you know what they've, but now this is a safe place. I've watched all the, all the things that, that, that is done in order to sanitize this place. This is probably, this is safe. I mean, all of the things that happen to the chairs and here and, 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 the, and, the, and the, all around us and then in the Lake LAC kids building, I guess they were waiting for us finally to figure out how to make this a safe place because this is a safe place now. And, uh, and I just really appreciate all the, world, all, all the work that, that, uh, that is done uh, to, to make this a safe place where we can gather to worship together. So anyhow, I'm glad to be here again. Yesterday, uh, Patsy started boxing up all of our Christmas decorations, and as soon as they all get boxed up, then I will cart them up into the attic and uh, where they'll stay until next November when I will get them all down again. And you know, at last count, there were 21 babies in a manger. No, no, 21 babies in mangers. They weren't all in one manger. But at, at last count, there were 21 babies in mangers that were getting all boxed up to go up into the attic. But I want you to look at something. John chapter 3, verse 16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Folks, that promise is not something that we can put up in the attic. I can put all the babies in mangers up there I want. And that promise doesn't get put up in the attic. Now, I want you to look at, look at this verse. It says, God loved the whole world. And then whoever, whoever in the world, that whoever in the world believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's because of that baby in the manger that all of humankind has the opportunity for an abundant and eternal life, the life that God created everyone to live. One day I was having a God conversation with my oldest granddaughter. She's, she's in her 20s now, early 20s, but at the time I think she was about eight. And and I was having this God conversation, and, and she asked me, Doc, 
what about people who don't know about Jesus? Whoa, that's a good question. What about those people? Let's pray. Lord God, Father, as we come before you this morning, we come in the holy, awesome, matchless name of Jesus Christ, your son. And God, I'm just thankful. I thank you that you've appointed me uh, to teach and to preach your word. God, I thank you that you're still letting me do that. And, uh, and Lord, that you give me the health to do that. And, and, and Lord, I just ask that your word would open us to, up to us today so that we can see your truth, so, so that we can, can glory in who you are and what you've done for us. God, don't let anything in me get in your way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have your Bibles or your phones, whatever you're going to do to, to, to take a look at the Bible, turn to John chapter 7. And while you're turning to John chapter 7, I want to tell you about a man that I met a number of years ago uh, named Omar. In fact, I'm not really sure that his name was Omar. It's been a while, but uh, I remember that name, and so I'm going to call him Omar. Omar grew up in Jordan, and he grew up in a very strict Muslim home. In fact, he, it, was, he, it was such a strict Muslim home that there was a church in their community, and, and, and Omar, he was not even permitted to walk down the street that that church was on. Well, Omar was curious kid, and so he, did, he couldn't imagine what would be so dangerous about that church. And so one day he snuck out of the house when nobody was watching. And he actually went out onto the street and was looking at the church. And uh, he thought, you know, there doesn't, that doesn't look all that dangerous. And so he decided he would go up for a little closer look. And so it was a bunch of steps leading up to the door of the church. And so he climbed those steps and he was just getting ready to knock on the door. Well, now, what Omar didn't realize was that a bunch of neighborhood kids had been playing pranks on the priest of that church. In fact, what they'd been doing, they'd been coming up, and they would knock on the door and then run off real quick. And so when the priest would come up and open the door, there would be nobody there. Well, this had been going on for some time. And so when Omar knocked on that door, the priest suddenly opened the door, and there was Omar. And he assumed that Omar was one of the neighborhood kids that had been playing all these pranks. And so he swatted him as hard as he could. And he knocked little Omar all the way down those steps. And he said, and don't come back. Well, now, Omar, he assumed this was a sign from Allah, that his parents were right. He needed to stay away not only from that church, but stay away from anything that has to do with Christians. Omar, obviously he's one of those people who does not have the opportunity to learn about Jesus. Well, then there's, what about all of those people from those remote jungle tribes in places like South America and Africa and Asia? For instance, in Burma, there's a tribe of about 100,000 uh, called the Wa, W-A, Wa. Now, the Wa, for the most part, are a very peaceful tribe, except once a year. Once a year, they become headhunters. And 
during planting season, they felt compelled by the evil spirits to go headhunting. And then they would plant the trophies of their hunting in their fields with the seeds, beginning, but believing that by doing that, that would ensure that they had a healthy, successful crop. Uh, the, the neighboring tribes that lived around the Wa, they would have left for vacations during planting season, except they had to plant their seeds as well. So what about the Wa? There aren't any Christ followers within hundreds of miles of the Wa. In fact, if you grew up in a Wa home, you could live your entire life and never see a Christian. So what about people like the Wa? When the angel came to the shepherds outside of Bethlehem, he said, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. He said, all the people. Now, does that include people like Omar? Are the Wa headhunters? Are others like them? In Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 13, verse 13 and 14, Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Well, Jesus describes this as two roads. So, so there's one broad road, road with a wide gate, and then there's one narrow road with a small gate. Now, the image that he's, he's giving us here is, is of a typical ancient city, which had a big, wide front gate that stayed open all day long. But then when nighttime came, they would close the gates to keep their uh, adversaries, their enemies from sneaking in. But right next to the big gate was this little door. And then there was a trail that would lead out from the main road up to this little door. And so if you were late getting home one day and, and the gate had already closed, you could go up and you could knock on, the, knock on this little door and the gatekeeper would come up and he would open the door and look out and he would see you and he would probably recognize you and then he would open the, open the little door and let you in. Well, now this broad road with a wide gate is a good description of our pluralistic society. Living in a pluralistic society requires a high degree of tolerance when it comes to spiritual and moral issues so that people can be or do or have whatever they want to be or do or have without ever feeling uncomfortable. Now, that means that with the possible exception of remaining silent while people plant heads in their garden next door, okay, you and I are not supposed to say or do anything that might make someone else feel uncomfortable. But when it comes to spiritual and moral issues, God is not tolerant. When it comes to spiritual and moral issues, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14 says that the abundant eternal life that only God can give, to get to there, the gate is very small. And he says, only a few people find it. Well, now that brings up a good question, which is, if the small gate is right next to the big gate, then why do so many people not find it? 
Does God have some angel standing right in front of the, uh, of, of the small door and kind of concealing it so that people like Omar and, and the, Wad, the Wahed hunters can't find it? 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 says, God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. God doesn't hide the small gate. His desire is that everyone enter through the small gate and get to the life that he wants them to live. And you, you know what? That's always been the case. 600 years before Paul wrote this letter to 1 Timothy, the prophet, God spoke through the prophet Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11, and he said, As surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of wicked people. I only want them to turn from their wicked ways so they can live. God doesn't want anyone to lose the life that he created them to have. In fact, he's always wanted them to have that, that life. So what's the problem? Then why don't more people find the small gate? John chapter 7, you have your Bibles, John chapter 7, verse 16 and 17. And Jesus is going to give us a biblical principle here in John 7, 16 and 17, when he says, Jesus told them, my message is not my own, it comes from God who sent me. Anyone who wants to do the will of God will know whether my teaching is from God or is merely my own. And when I say it's important that we realize this is a biblical principle. What the principle Jesus gives us here applies before Jesus and it applies after Jesus. It never changes. And here's the principle. Willingness to do God's will is the key to finding the small gate. It's the key to entering into a relationship with God. Now, there's two ways to look at that. There's a pot, we can look at it positively or we can look at it negatively. So let's start with the negative. Those who do not want to do God's will will not find the small gate. They will not be able to enter a relationship with God. Before Jesus, in Psalm chapter 81, beginning in verse 10, God was speaking to the nation of Israel, and here's what he said. He said, I, the Lord, am your God. Open wide, open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice, and Israel did not obey me. So I gave them over to the stubbornness, to the unwillingness of their heart, to walk in their own devices. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways." but they wouldn't walk in God's ways. So he gave them over to their stubborn hearts. Hundreds of years later, the Jewish leaders were rejecting Jesus as their Messiah. When Jesus in Matthew, 20, it's recorded in Matthew 23, 37, look what he said to them. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. It was their unwillingness to do God's will that kept the Jewish leaders 
from recognizing the Messiah that God had sent. The letter to the Romans, Paul's letter to the Romans, explains what happens to people who are not willing to acknowledge that God is God. In Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 20, Paul says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, through creation, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they knew that God was the creator, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their, in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. God's fingerprints are all over creation. But if someone looks at that creation, and attribute and, and either attributes it to something other than God, or they refuse to submit to him as God, Romans 1 says that they become fools. The all-powerful creator God turns their lights off, so to speak. I had an OB-GYN doc one day. He told me, he said, Terry, he said, I will never understand how anyone could deliver a baby and not believe in God. Romans chapter 1 tells us, because they don't want God to be their God. They're to be their God. So their foolish heart is darkened. God turns their lights on. You know, before I was a Christ follower, it used to amaze me how really smart people could say such stupid things. I remember I was in an anthropology class at the University of Texas. I think it was a sophomore. And uh, this was before I was a Christian. And the anthropology professor was explaining to us, to the whole class, the origin of life. And, and he said there were these two protein molecules that were floating around in, in this cosmic ooze. And they bumped up and they bumped against each other. And they connected and voila, life. Now, folks, I was a non-Christian, and I was a sophomore. Okay, sophomores are not known for being the most intelligent of God's creatures. Okay, I didn't have a bunch of letters after my name like this guy has. But I still remember all those years ago what he said, and I also remember what I thought. What I thought was, fella, if you really believe that, you're an idiot. Paul says, professing to be wise, they became fools. John chapter 7, 16 and 17. Let's look at it again. So Jesus told them, my message is not my own. It comes from God who sent me. Anyone who wants to do the will of God will know whether my teaching is from God or is merely my own. People who don't want to do God's will will not be able to find the small gate. But now let's look at it positively. Those who want to do God's will will be able to find the small gate and enter into a relationship with God. In Psalm chapter 145, verse 18, now this is before Jesus. The psalmist says, the Lord is near to all who call on him. Now catch this next part. To all who call on him in truth. 2,000 years before Jesus, there was a man named Job 
who lived in the land of Uz. Now, folks, nobody even know where Uz was. But Job knew about the one true God. And he was willing to do what God wanted him to do. And look what Job said in Job chapter 13, verse 15. He said, though he slay me, I will hope in him. No matter what he does to me, he's still my God. And then Job, Job goes on in Job chapter 19. He, he says, but as for me, he says, I know that my Redeemer lives. And he will stand upon the earth at last. And after my body has decayed, yet in my body, I will see God. Folks, this is Job. This is not Abraham or Moses or David or any of those other heroes of, of Israel, God's chosen people. This is Job. And nobody even knows where he lived. 1,200 years after Job, there was a whole city, Nineveh, that turned from their wickedness to the one true God because God had a whale swallow a very disobedient prophet named Jonah. And he sent Jonah to Nineveh. And as a result, 120,000 Ninevites repented and turned to the one true God. These were not Israelites. They didn't have Moses and the prophets to point them to the one true God. But when, con when confronted with the truth about God, they were willing to obey him. And God made a way for them to know the truth about him. 800 years later, some non-Jewish wise men came looking for the king of the Jews. And they found him in a manger at Bethlehem. Why did they find him? The Bible says because they were willing to do God's will. And they proved it when they bowed and worshipped the baby king. Fifty years later, the apostle Paul had a dream that sent him to Philippi. Well, he went to Philippi, but, Philippi, but when he got to Philippi, he ended up being arrested and thrown, thrown in jail. But then there was an earthquake. And the jailer fell on his face before Paul and said, what must I do to be saved? He was ready to do God's will. And before Paul left Philippi, the jailer and his whole family placed faith in Jesus Christ and they were all baptized. This was the beginning of the Philippian church which helped spread the gospel throughout the whole district of Macedonia. So we have Job, the Ninevites, wise men, the Philippian jailer and his family, thousands of Macedonians who were willing to do God's will. And so God made a way for them to find the small gate. And there are more many more and the, on the pages of the Bible. We just don't have time today to, to talk about all of them, but the Bible is full of them. You see, whenever we find someone in the Bible who worships the one true God, regardless of where they're from, regardless of what kind of home they grow up in, the Bible says the reason they discovered the truth about God is because they were willing to do God's will. Now, let's go back to that question. What about the people who do not know about Jesus? You see, the issue is not whether or not they know about Jesus. The issue is whether or not they are willing to let the one true God be their God. My youngest daughter, Angie, she was four. I think she was about four. She's, she's in her mid-40s now, I think. 
when she was about four, she came up to me and, and, she, and she said, Dad, how do I ask Jesus to come into my heart? Well, Angie already knew about Jesus. She already knew about his death and his resurrection. And so I immediately went straight to Romans chapter 10, verse 9, which says, and I opened my Bible and I showed her. It says, if you confess, and Angie, that means just to say, if you say with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. So if you ask Jesus to be your boss and you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What? Well, Angie immediately started crying, and she got off of my lap, and she was leaving. And I said, Angie, what's wrong? And she said, I don't want Jesus to be the boss of me. <laughs> Thankfully, she finally asked Jesus to be the boss of her. Because the longer anyone resists God, the harder it becomes to yield to him. See, folks, regardless of where someone lives... Regardless of what kind of home they grow up in, God will make a way for those who want to do his will to discover the truth about him and enter into a life-giving relationship with him. After he was knocked down the steps of that church, Omar, he was true to his commitment. He didn't go near anything or anyone remotely connected to Christianity. He graduated from school in Jordan and his parents sent him to California to go to college. But then when he went to check into his dorm, he discovered that his roommate was a Christian. Oh no, he thought, why did Allah put him with a Christian roommate? Well, his Christian roommate, as you might expect, invited Omar to go to Bible study with him. Well, Omar says, I'm not going to a Christian Bible study, I'm Muslim. But every single week, it was the same story. His roommate would say, hey, Omar, why don't you come go to Bible study with me? And Omar would say, I'm not going to your Bible study. I'm Muslim. Finally, Omar was so tired of his Christian roommate inviting him to go to Bible study that he says, okay, I'll go one time if you promise never to ask me again. I met Omar 20 years ago at Dallas Seminary, at Dallas Seminary. He is now a professor at a Christian seminary in Jordan. There's thousands, millions of stories about people like Omar who didn't come from a Christian home, who didn't come from a Christian culture, but somehow God made a way for them to hear about Jesus and place faith in Christ. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, the Bible says, God has planted eternity in every human heart. See, God put eternity in our hearts. God put in here in our hearts something that will never be satisfied with anything in this world. And then he left his fingerprints all over creation to make it clear that he was the one who did it, that he was the one who could fill this eternity in our heart. And wherever someone is willing to do God's will, God will make a way for them to discover the truth about him and enter into a life-giving relationship with him. Whether we're talking about individuals like Omar or whole tribes of people, did you know that 90% of ancient folk religions include something about 
the one supreme God. And many of those ancient folk religions include a belief that one day that supreme God will redeem mankind. Now the ancient folk religions of the Wa, that's that tribe of headhunters. They're one of the 90%. According to the, their ancient folk religion, their religious folklore of that religion, there was an ancient book that was written by Sive. That was the name they gave to their supreme God. And in that book, it would tell them how to be free from the evil spirits. But the book was lost. Well, now, also according to that ancient religious folklore, one day a white brother would come bringing a copy of this lost book. Well, one morning, Puchan, Puchan was a tribe, excuse me, Puchan was a prophet of this Wa tribe. And one morning, Puchan saddled a pony and he told two of his disciples to follow the pony. He said that the night before he had had a dream and in that dream, Sive had told him that the white brother had finally come and the pony would lead them to him. Well, the two disciples started following, got in behind the pony and they were astonished when the pony started walking. So they followed him. They just assumed he would stop at the first pass of green grass or, or maybe the first watering hole, but that pony just kept walking. And he kept walking for 200 miles. And finally, he walked through the gates of a compound and walked right up to a well. Well, the two tribesmen came up next to the pony. There wasn't anybody standing at the well. There wasn't anybody coming to the well. But then they heard something in the well. And so they looked in the well. There wasn't any water in the well. Instead, there was just the white face of a missionary named William Marcus Young, who was digging the well. And Mr. Young looked up at these Watrisman and in a, uh, in, in a language which they could understand, he said, can I help you? And their response was, have you brought a book about God? 10,000 decisions for Christ later. Wa tribesmen were helping to spread the message of Jesus to other remote tribes in the mountains of Burma. Tribes that were also looking for a white man with the lost book that would tell them about the supreme God. You see, God will make a way for anyone who wants to do God's will to discover the truth about God and enter into a life-giving relationship with Him. Now, you may say, but what about this? Or what about them? Or what about this situation? Or what about that situation? Folks, I don't have the answers to all of those, but what about questions? But I do know that God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. He doesn't want anyone to miss out on the life that he created them to live. That's why he sent Jesus. All that he's looking for is someone with a willing spirit, someone who is willing to let God be their God. 
And wherever he finds that willing spirit, he will make a way for them to find the small gate. You know, there's not a day that goes by that I don't thank God for giving me a willing spirit to want to follow him. And like Paul in Romans 7, I know that there's something that's still in me that if given the chance, will resist God. And so there's not a day that goes by that I don't ask him to give me a willing spirit to continue to follow him. And then even then though, sometimes I resist God and I sin. And when I sin, I do exactly what 1 John 1, 9 says I'm supposed to do. It says if we sin, we confess our sins to God and he is faithful and just and will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because you see, he's not only my boss, he is also the one who took care of all of my sin on the cross so that I could live the life that he created me to live. 2021 has just started. And I can't think of a better way to start a new year than to tell God you want him to be your boss. If you're already a Christ follower, do you want God's best for you in 2021? Then let God be the boss. Let God be the boss. Not just today, but every day. And you know what? If God is your boss, then you may be the way that God provides for somebody else to find the small gate. If God's your boss. Maybe you're not a Christ follower. Did you know that God wants you to have an abundant, eternal life? That was the life he created you for. And he sent Jesus so you could have that life. The only question is, are you willing to let Jesus be the boss? Because you see, if you're willing to let Jesus be the boss, you can pray a real simple prayer as Romans 10, 9 says. And you can just say, Jesus, I want you to come into my life and be my boss. Will you bow your heads, please? We're going to have a short time of prayer. If you're a Christ follower, then I'm going to challenge you just to tell God that you want him to be your boss in 2021. And ask him to remind you every day to give you a willing spirit so you will continue to want him to be your boss. Every day. If you're a Christ follower, 2021 is with God in control can start right now. And then you are pursuing God's best for you during 2021. If you're not a Christ follower, Jesus came to this earth. He lived a perfect life. He went to the cross where he took all of your sin. There's not any sin you could ever commit that wasn't put on the cross with Jesus. If you want that abundant eternal life that Jesus died for you to have and then rose again so he could give it to you, all you have to do is ask Jesus to come into your life and be your boss. So if you're not a Christ follower, 
I want to ask you, do you believe that Jesus died on a cross and rose from the grave? That he died for you and rose from the grave? And if you say, well, you know, I, I don't know. I'm still having trouble with that. Well, then admit it. I'm having trouble with that. I want to give you a project. Start reading the New Testament in Matthew chapter 1. Just start reading. And as you read, ask yourself, does this read like a fantasy, Harry Potter, or does this read like the truth? Because if you come to the conclusion that it reads like the truth, that's when you have to decide whether or not you want Jesus to be your boss. So if you believe that Jesus died on a cross and God raised him from the dead, then all you have to do is say, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Come into my life and be my boss. So just pray that right now. Just whisper it, a whisper prayer to God. Lord Jesus, come into my life and be my boss. Lord Jesus, come into my life and be my boss. Now, if you just prayed that prayer for the very first time, before we leave here today, I'm gonna ask you to uh, to, to do two things. I'm going to ask you to go online and there's a place at the connect page online where you can check a little, click a little box that says you asked, you gave your, you committed your life to Christ this week. And, and I'm going to ask you to do that. If, if you're serious about Jesus being your boss, then this is your first test of is Jesus really your boss? Okay, go online and check that little box that you want Jesus, that you just committed your life to Christ. And the second step to prove that Jesus is really your boss is when I call you on the telephone sometime this week, you'll return my phone call or you'll answer my text because I would like to have a conversation with you, maybe out here on the campus somewhere where we can talk about your new relationship with Jesus and how you can grow that relationship. So. Go online and check that spot I committed my life to Christ today. So that's one thing to do. The second thing I'm gonna ask you to do is raise your hand. Just raise it up high. Kind of telling God, God, I'm serious. I want you to be my boss. I want you to be my boss. Now we have a tradition here at Lake Hills Church, and that is when you put your hands down, we put ours together.